Hello, I'm Matthew Stepanek. And I'm Rayanne Haynes. And this is Let's Get Lit, the Drunk Poetry Podcast. In every episode, we interview poets of stature about their work and about the power and relevancy of poetry in order to support and promote it, the arts, and literacy. And a conversational style will enjoy a beverage chosen to match the poet's personality and style while learning more about each poet and asking why poetry matters to them. We would like to acknowledge our interview takes place on Treaty 6 territory, a traditional gathering place for diverse Indigenous peoples including the Cree, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, Pappas Chase, Nakota Sioux, and many other whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence our vibrant community. Uh, so for those of you who this is your first time checking into the podcast, mm-hmm. my name is Matthew Stepanek, and I'm the editor of Glass Buffalo and poetry editor of 18 Bridges. Uh, and in 2019, I'm excited to announce here that I'll be the Edmonton Public Library's 2019 Writer-in-Residence. So yeah, if you're based in Edmonton and want me to give you some feedback <laughs> on your work, you can look for my office hours in the new year. Awesome. So congratulations, Matthew, on the new gig. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> So my name is Rayanne. I'm an award-winning fiction author, poet, and the executive director of the Edmonton Poetry Festival. And in January, I'm delighted to announce that I'll be the writer-in-residence at Audrey's Bookstore uh, just for the one month. But that'll be a fun thing to do. Yeah. Uh, we also want to thank our wine expert, Gravinda Patia, for his generosity as the podcast wine sponsor. Um, all of our pairings come from Gravinda's private cellar. However... For tonight's podcast, in the spirit of connection with Anna Marie Sewell and her work, and perhaps even as a nod to a sober Christmas, we're sharing a non-alcoholic beverage. Yes. Let's Get Lit is presented with the Writers Guild of Alberta, and we're grateful for their support in promoting and sharing this podcast with their network of writers. And as you're listening to this podcast, uh, feel free to share your thoughts on the conversation with us on Twitter, at Let's underscore Lit. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and so tonight we're joined by the uh, wonderful poet Anna Maria Sewell, uh, who's currently sipping at her cider beverage. Mm. <laughs> Can hear the way that she appreciates things. Oh, that's good cider. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Anna Marie is a poet and performer who was born in Fredericton, New Brunswick, and is of Mi'kmaq, Anishinaabe, and Polish heritage. She's the author of the poetry collection Fifth World Drum, uh, published in 2009, and For the Changing Moon, Poems and Songs, um, which was recently out in 2018, and we'll be discussing that today. Anna Marie's uh, practice incorporates poetry, song, theater, and community arts. She was the Poet Laureate of Edmonton from 2011 to 2013, and during that time created the Poem uh, Catcher Public Art Installation at Edmonton City Hall. And in 2015, she's had another art project, a multidisciplinary community history project reconciling Edmonton, um, which people in St. Albert can look out for at the St. Albert Gallery in February 2019. Uh, she's a founding member of the Stroll of Poets Society and is on the editorial board of Write Magazine. Her poetry was part of the Ukrainian Shipka Dancers production Ancestors and Elders, which had its world premiere back in April. And as a multidisciplinary artist, Anna Marie's practice centers on collaborative projects and her writing plays across boundaries of language, culture, and worldview. And you can keep up on her writing and thoughts on her website, Mm www.prairiepoems.com. Welcome, Anna Marie. 
Hello, thank you for having me here. This is just such a wonderful thing that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to sit with us and chat tonight. I'm very cheap. You'll be appearing so, on every podcast soon now. Yeah. <laughs> so that actually brings us to our beverage for the night. For the Changing Moon is dedicated to Anna Marie's mother, who has now passed. The inscription at the front of the book reads, I dedicate this book with love to Albina Hedvig, Albina Eileen Sawchuk Sewell, 1933-2017, who in her life lived with courage through many changes of the moon. And when we asked Anna Marie if she would join us for the podcast, she mentioned this dedication to us and highlighted the fact that her mother did not drink alcohol and in Anna Marie's observation was that her mother saw alcohol as a distraction from awareness. Anna Marie also noted that the subject matter of the collection and her own disinterest in alcohol would be at odds with the idea of a pairing with a wine. So in order to honor the inscription to her mother and to honor the spirit of the collection, we have chosen to pair this discussion with a homemade warm apple cider. A warm, spicy apple cider invokes the spirit of the prairie woman, of family gathering, of harvest, and of the traditional Christmas spirit. The flavors of cinnamon and nutmeg warm you and call on a sense of memory. I find that same sense of asking for a remembrance and acknowledgement in Anna Marie's collection and indeed in her as a person. The call of story, family, song, and acknowledgement of history is evident in everything Anna Marie does, and it's why we believe the warm apple cider is the perfect drink for tonight's podcast. Let me sip. Shall we have a sip? It's warm, it's appley, yeah. it's got a light, <laughs> spicy draw to it, the cloves. The cloves, yeah. yes, yeah. it's quite lovely. And I should say that the cider was actually made by Matthew. Yeah. Homemade by Matthew. Homemade by Matthew. So this is artisanal? Uh, yeah. Handcrafted? <laughs> Handcrafted, yeah. Um, yes, I have an is. apple tree in my backyard. Oh, that, did you? Yeah. You harvested for directly from your apple tree? Yeah. Yeah, really? early in the summer. No, I didn't. Oh, that's, that's the lie on the podcast. Oh. Two truths and a lie. The truths are Anna Marie and Rianne, and the lie is Matthew. Okay. Well, it really is very good. It's very well made. I will happily share the recipe with anybody that. Oh, maybe anything. you could put a link to like the recipe in the oh, podcast. Yeah. Oh, we could, yeah. We could. Yeah, that, I'm sure that random website would <laughs> appreciate it. Although I did look at like a dozen different recipes to kind of read up on reviews okay. and see what was going on with everything. Something that wasn't too sweet. Right. Had the right amount of spices. Yes. You know, could well, you be done. you did good. You did good. Uh, <laughs> delicious. Very refreshing. Oh, thank you. I particularly like the, the lemon slice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a real nice top note of citrus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look at you all. All smart about ciders. Uh-huh. Right. Um, so I guess, uh, Anna Marie, how are how are you doing tonight? I feel great. You feel great. <laughs> I love getting together with writers, mm-hmm. and I love talking about writing. And oh, well, let's be honest, who doesn't like to have their work focused on? It's why we do our work. So we can find an audience. So thank you, thank you for doing this for me, and thank you for doing this for our community. Aww. really, it's a wonderful thing to be able to know that there is a podcast out there talking with Edmondson writers about our writing and sharing that to potentially a worldwide audience. Mm. You know, if they want yeah. to listen yeah. you know, on yeah. the podcast, well, they can through the wonders of the, the interweb. Yeah. yeah. The, the internet is interweb. an amazing thing. It is. Yeah. Well, we're honored that you're here with us tonight. 
Mm-hmm. So. And we're very excited for the deep dive that we'll do into the collection because yes, I was a little bit scared. (laughs) (laughs) But it's all right. We have nothing. The only thing that we want to pull apart is if like we want to spread it out like a beautiful welcome mat for everybody to lay out on, rather Mm. than um, I don't know how however else you tear things apart. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just imagining a cat going out like a cat tree for a second. We want that for no, no. But it also it's like it's good sharpens the claws. Everything that goes on. Yeah. No. You made uh, me think of my cat. She's a bit evil. Yeah. I don't want her anywhere near this poetry collection. Okay. <laughs> we won't we won't be introducing no. Cats, no cats into the, into no the podcast. Sorry. Um, if you're listening at home, Bandit. <laughs> Dusty, it's okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, with the orange. Anna Marie. Do you have any exciting projects on the horizon you'd like to tell us about? Well I've always got exciting projects on the horizon. You do, you really do. And the trouble is, I think I suffer from what Sharon Pollock, the great playwright, Mm -hmm. once described herself as having, not attention deficit disorder, but attention surplus disorder. Okay. Oh. She said, I don't know why they talk about it that way. I'm interested in everything. I mean everything. Yes. You're speaking my language, lady. Everything's interesting. I agree. There's no lack of things... On any given day, if I sit down for, for too long, ideas come flying through the air, and I start writing them down. I'm like, I could do this, and I could do that, and I could do this, and I could do that. So on any given day, there's a lot of things on the back burner bubbling. Um, on the front burner? Hmm. Mm, well, the Shunka Project will mm-hmm. be meeting in a week or so to talk about the remount that's happening in March and the touring production that mm. will come up, which is a bit of a, a an interesting challenge. I'm yeah. looking forward to finding out how that's going to go because there's about a hundred artists who were involved in putting the show up. Mm-hmm. And I know all hundred of us will not go on tour. That's a lot of people. Yeah. No, that's a lot of people. <laughs> Usually just the performers get that privilege. Yeah, but even the performers is the you know, the Ukrainian dance ensemble oh, yeah. and then right. Running Thunder dance ensemble. Uh, and then six actors and then I don't know, it's going to be a big show to take on the road. So I'm yeah. excited to find out about that. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, the new book has got me all kinds of excited. With yeah. Uh, just taking that to different people in different places and mm-hmm. introducing it and um, trying to learn how to make video, actually. Oh. oh. Yeah, which, if I'm correct, means that video is about to die. <laughs> as soon as when you know how to do it as soon as I know how to do it that will be it for that art form everyone will go oh yeah so passe it's probably already passe even oh. as I speak yeah I've heard there. well there's rumors so vlogging. about it vlogging vlogging is popular but yes. um, with teens apparently they're not going to movie theaters as much as they used to be and it's like it's mostly they're watching more YouTube. I don't. I don't have a source for this article, but I've talked mm. about it with a friend. So, like, maybe if you were to start doing a movie, that art form might die. I don't know what your video is going to be of. Just video poems. Just video. Oh, poems? video poems. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I think there's still. I mean, I've done some video poems. I think there's still. It's still a popular. I hope so. A popular thing to do. I don't know how to do it yet. I'm <laughs> starting to. You know, it's a, it's a big field. It's a I huge field. Think. Yeah. But maybe not. Oh, oh, well, I'm excited to see your video poems when they well, emerge. Well, of them on YouTube, but they're entirely sketchy. They're just, I sketched them on free programs and went, well, that looks and sounds about right. Let's just put it up there. Um, which is not normally how I operate. I'm normally extremely 
perfectionist about those things. So we yeah. right, right. Thirty years of working in the arts, two books. Yeah. And I'm not saying they're perfected; they're far from it. But I tend to resist that kind of stasis mm-hmm. and gathering of things. I like things that are more performative, more in the mm-hmm. moment, and then they're reminiscent. And then they go poof. That was it. If you were there, you saw it. If you didn't, too bad for you. The next one will be along. Yeah. I like that. But the older you get, the more you see that it would be fun to do the things. Well, that's how I came to publishing books. Was I, I was always resistant of it. And then one day I kind of pulled my head out of the sand and said, <laughs> I read books. I don't, you know, I don't not read books because right. I don't want to be bothered in that way. If you're going to read them, maybe you could just write them too and not be so precious about that. It's not so bad. Hmm. You know, and then publishing died, right? For a while. It's not dead yet. I know, but you know, it changed radically. It changed, yeah. It changed, yeah. Okay, so maybe it'll just change. Video will change. And same thing about video. I always thought it was too technology heavy, too mediated Mm. a form. It's proscribing what you can see. But then I realized I like to watch it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hurt. I'm okay. I'm not (laughs) proscribed because of it, so maybe it'll be okay if I do it too. Yeah. A pansy. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, is there going to be a place soon that listeners could like watch your videos? YouTube. YouTube. Oh, like, do you have an uh, account? I'm Banabique Girl. Oh, okay. Which is um, Banabique is an Ojibwe personage, which I know frightfully little about. Mm-hmm. But it has to do with mermaids and mm-hmm. okay. actually with. I've been told, and I may have been told wrong, the fact is that a long time ago, maybe, just maybe, manatees came up the Mississippi, up to where we would have seen them. Mm-hmm. And that maybe Banana Quay is based on that. Some people say, maybe. Some Interesting. People say, I don't know if it's true or not, but I just think that manatees and dugongs are some of the coolest people we have on the, hmm. on the planet. And mm-hmm. like, well, I'd like to steal their name to honor them. Yeah. And, you know, just explore this by putting it out there. And if I've got it vitally wrong, someone will correct me. Okay. They will. They will. That's what we're all here for in the space of yeah. accepting correction. And well, and learning, forward with it. Right? Yeah, and learning. learning. Put it out, learn from it, keep learning, keep growing, keep exploring what things in this world there are and it's, it's, I mean, it's a world of mysterious things mm-hmm. so to me that, that idea that those people could have been living up into the Great Lakes area at some time mm-hmm. is, is fascinating to me uh, and the idea that Anishinaabe people could have been you know traveling down that system is much easier to imagine really mm-hmm. but it also intrigues me in the idea of using a, a a name that provokes that intrigue for myself made it interesting to do. Hey, you can stop me anytime. No, 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 Anything that you want. This is all about you. You can talk about, you know, textiles in the 1800s. Well, let me tell you. I have a reason to thought about that. Flaxen. Yeah. I've always thought that flaxen linen is the best material. I oh, am. I love a linen. I know, isn't linen yes. magnificent? Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I should have known if I said textile, someone would have something to say about it. <laughs> and, you know, the traditional 
outfits of, of a lot of Slavic people in Goldman. Yes. And so when I got involved with doing this Shunka show, um, my very dear friend and mentor, Elke Blodgett, who mm-hmm. also passed away yeah. mm-hmm. last February, yeah. she was so excited. We spent a lot of time together after my mom passed, and, mm. and she talked a lot about how excited she was that I was doing this project and how much she really wanted to see it. And, of course, she passed before the show went up. But mm. when we were um, dispersing her household, I was helping her her children. And, and, yeah, we're all just doing the work that you do. And in the closet, one of the daughters said, come here, look at this. Do you want this? And took out this perfectly amazing linen blouse, heavy linen, mm. Ukrainian or Polish dance blouse I don't know enough about the patterns to be right, sure right. but it's all beaded so oh. it probably weighs 10 pounds it's just oh. thick with with heavy glass beads handmade lace and heavy linen and it fits perfectly wow and we all just went where do you suppose she got that I said, it doesn't matter mm. yeah it doesn't matter here it is yeah it's a mysterious and beautiful and perfect thing yeah I feel like I want you to read a poem Okay. After yeah. you've after you've talked about that, because I feel like the poem that I want you to read is a, a part of what you're talking about. Um, so I'm wondering if you can read the first poem in the collection for us, uh, creation song. Okay. Okay. Can I sing? You can, yeah. of course. However, you'd like to perform it. Yes. Because. Okay. I have lately been thinking a lot about this song and what is the song? And there are so many answers to what is the song and, and well, hmm. creation song. They say Star Woman fell down here because she was curious. They say the Star Sisters still watch us. They say when Star Woman fell, It was a humble one who gave all he had to reach enough earth for her landing. They say the humble ones still watch us. They say the turtle carries on her shell sacred geometries, formulae for moon and time. They say this is still Turtle Island, they say. If you listen, the song goes on. Sing, they say. But what do we sing? We could sing anything. We could sing an old drum song. We could sing a song that rides only on our heartbeat. We could sing a disco song for all those who were disco strong when they needed to be. We could sing for those boys down in California in the 70s who were the first native rock band hmm. back in the day. And they sang, hey, hey, what's the matter with you, hey, baby, yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> what's the matter with your mind in the sun, yeah. oh, yeah, hey, hey. With it, baby, cause you're mine and you're mine and you look so divine. <laughs> Come get your love. Mm-hmm. 
They can imagine it, right? Yeah. What a star woman could think. Yeah. Come and get your love. Yeah. That is the call. I, I think that song mm-hmm. had a resurgence with Guardians of the Galaxy. And oh, yeah, I yeah. love it. Yes, right? yes. But back in the 90s, it had another resurgence doing, um, for me personally, it had a resurgence. Mm. So, you know, that counts. Yeah. <laughs> in the Okanagan, working with Indigenous artists at an Okan Center, and people were singing that song then mm. too and saying, yeah, this is. This is part of our sacred tradition, that this song was happening in the 70s. These guys were dressing up in in slightly kitschy, mm. way-over-the-top powwow traditional regalia, and they were singing a call to sex and love, and it's for everybody. Come mm-hmm. on, come get your love. And yeah. that's radical for brown boys to be standing up on the stage, mm. you know, making that statement. Yeah. It could be after your daughters, it could be after your sons, mm. it could be after anybody, and they're not going to abide by any kind of system that wants to say that they're less than, that they're not beautiful, that they're not wonderful, and that sex and love and, and getting love yeah. and being alive isn't wonderful I just found it to be such a, an affirmative thing that I went out and bought their book recently. Oh. Um, Pat Vegas, who, with his brother Lolly, set up that band, wrote a history of the band, so I just picked that up, and that's what I'm reading right now. Is that oh. one of our questions? What are you uh, reading? Yeah. Is it? Oh, <laughs> it is one of our questions. Yes, yeah. it is. What are you reading right now? Yeah. I'm reading Come and Get Your Love. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm reading the story of Redbone, which is an amazing mm. story of, of some guys down in California who are Yaqui and Mexican yeah. and Shoshone and hmm. doing a lot of interesting things in their life. And it's just a fascinating story. I'm also yeah. reading the autobiography of... Doug Knockwood, who's a Mi'kmaq elder that I was honored to meet in 2015. I think you do. You speak of him in the back of your book. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Woman here for him. Yeah, and and for the good people that I met in uh, Wolfville, in Nova Scotia, back in 2015, and and he was an amazing guy too. So this book is um, Doug Knockwood, Mi'kmaq elder, and it's his words but it's also memories and recollections from different people who've been affected by him um i kind of wanted to center us again on the the collection that's in front of us um (laughs) because you see quite clearly on the on the on the cover of it that underneath the title it says poems and songs yeah and um you know it's not often that you see a poetry collection reference how it also is songs and um as you flip through you know you see the music notes for um, directions for when you know you can sing things or when there might be a certain tune to appreciate the poem with and so I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about the value of music and collaboration in your art and you know what power does um, a tune add to your poetry mm-hmm. Ooh. well I think it all goes back to the heart mm-hmm. you know we all we all start with one drum right that's as soon as your heartbeat is happening mm-hmm. you're alive and the power of that rhythm is the unchangeable center of our lives. When that stops, you're done. You know, when that mm-hmm. drum runs out, that your song is over. And I know that poets have spoken so much more eloquently than I do throughout history and across the world about the great song and that we're all part of the great song. The song of the heavenly spheres, the song of the earth, the song of what we are. Um, songs of innocence, songs of experience, mm. all these ways in which we sing 
I find that that's the most vital thing you can do as a person, is to engage in and with the song. And that poetry, for me, springs from the joy of being part of the song. Mm. Um, and I wanted to, to make a book that was designed for people to enjoy, you know, to take out and play with, to read yeah. aloud, to perform aloud. I wanted to imagine that people would pick it up and they would make songs out of it. Because oh. I like doing that to other people's stuff. Mm -hmm. And because the poets I admire most run right smack dab into song, they do it, you know. I yeah. consider, for example, the master, you know, the great Mr. Leonard Cohen, mm -hmm. right, became a master of song as a poet. Yeah. And that was what gave his work so much staying power, really, mm -hmm. and allowed it to get out into the world. This isn't that. Of course, this is a book. And as a book, it can also be enjoyed quietly with a nice cup of cider. Yeah. But I'd like to imagine that people play with it. Because ah. part of why I've had an ambivalent relationship with writing books is that encourage a living engagement with language. Mm. Always a living engagement with it. Always a connectedness to people. The idea of being a writer, meaning I'd have to sit in isolation all the time in order to create. Right, yeah. Scares the living yeah. out of me. Oh my God, I think I'd go crazy if yeah. I didn't have you know the editorial committee to talk to and <laughs> family to make noise yeah. at me and mm -hmm. things to do and places to be. And I think that you're if you're if you're happy with language, you want to hear it. Mm -hmm. yeah. you, know, you want to hear it. You want to hear it aloud. It connects with people. One of the greatest joys of my life has been singing with people. And so some of these poems were born as songs. And some of them I thought, I want this to be a song, but I don't know how to write it as a song. So I'll just say, um, I think this is the shape it goes as a song. Put it out there and see if somebody comes up with something. Oh, I like that. And I think it would be really fun. But yeah, it would be interesting to somebody go, look what I've done with your song, mm -hmm. with your poem. Now it's a song. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I'm kind of critical and point out a little mistake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not really. No, but I can be no. really happy. Yeah. But, yeah. but I think there's something really wonderful about that idea that people lift up each other's words in song. Yeah. And lift up our voices together in song. And nothing feels better. Like, I like to sing with mm -hmm. people. It just makes me so happy. Do you hear your poems as songs when you're writing them? Sometimes. Yeah? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, no. Some mm -hmm. of them, I just think of an idea. Yeah. And I want something to show that idea. Sometimes they're visual. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But definitely the sound that they're going to make matters. Yes. You know, you know yes, that absolutely. your work and you do, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Right? I don't know if you guys do that. Do you take your stuff for a walk? Absolutely. Yeah. The, yeah. It's usually when it comes to me, too, is when I'm out on a walk, when I'm yeah. creating that pace. Yeah, mm -hmm. me too, because mm -hmm. I find you get the rhythm, right? You get mm -hmm. a rhythm and you get moving. And, and definitely as an adult, that's how I wrote. But when I was a kid living on the farm, often I wrote stuff while I was working with livestock. So me too. I mean, no, I, I have memories of, uh, because we had horses sure. and I have memories of like cleaning the stalls and talking to the horses and making up 
plays and songs to them as I was working. And that was my, you know, that was our, my, you know, my best friends and I were having, which were the animals. We were making up these theatrical things. Oh my God, I'm so glad you did that. Because there's such good feedback. They Mm -hmm. resonate. You yeah, know, you can always tell when you've hit a good groove because a horse will let you know. Yes, mm-hmm. it, they'll just sort of lean into a really good groove, and cows the same. So my mom's way of of training cattle was that uh, train milk cow. You can milk them anywhere you need to milk them. Mm. They come to you. It's milking time. None of this, you know, stanchions and stalls and everything. That's yeah, what cows yeah, yeah. Go, I don't know any better. Yeah. So, <laughs> and the way she did it was she would. I watched her and I learned from her. And, I never caught her singing to them, but I'm sure she did under I'm her sure. breath when no one was listening, because that's what I did. I, when no one else was, it was just me, I'd sing. Yes. And you can tell when you've hit a nice groove, because they'll just lean into it, and mm-hmm. everything's great, everything's marvelous, and there's also a rhythm, mm-hmm. you know, so any, any kind of activity that entails rhythm is really good for writing. Yeah. And then... As a feedback loop, the writing becomes really good for song, because it's based in some kind of movement, some kind of rhythm. Yeah. So, hmm. lovely. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I just think I never haven't had the farm animal experience. No, it's never, I might, it's I, never too late. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Someone with a farm, please invite. Well, me. you can come to my oh. my my mom and dad. They still have the horse farm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't even think of. Let's go to your farm. Okay. Can we? That's yeah. Yeah. Like a great we should have been there. recording from the farm. No, well, in fact, my um, poetry videos that we were talking about earlier, doing poetry sure. videos. Both of the poetry videos that I recorded last year were done at my parents' farm. And and that actually does bring me to another question that Matthew and I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. And um, it's about the moon, you know. And, I mean, you, your title is For the Changing Moon. You have many poems in this collection about the moon. And so, you know, and I and I recall doing a moon poetry moon work, walk, oh a walk with you years ago. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. But I think I want you to... Just talk to us a little bit about that moon as kind of a constant companion in your life. What what I see as a constant companion in your life, or even as a being. I I almost feel like it's this entity or this being in your life and in your collection. And if you can talk to us a little bit about that. Well, it's a huge cliche, isn't it? I mean, poets and moons. Of course, right? but but huge. let us have them. <laughs> That's what that be, right? Yeah. Let us have. Have you heard that the the moons of moons are called moon moons? No. Yeah, the new information. I don't know if NASA announced it or something. Have they not released it? You're in on the inner moon. No, no. I just like everyone was talking about this a month ago where it was just moon, moon. I'm pretty sure it was moon, moon. Now I need to double check that for that like side thing. So what if you moon the moon, moon? Uh, moon, 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 moon. And what if you're wearing a moon, 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 moon? Oh, okay, this is going to go event. on. With the cow by your side. Right. Wearing a moon, moon, if you were to moon, oh, never mind. <laughs> moon, moon, moons. Moon, moons. Moon, moons. Beautiful, actually. Well, of course the moon is a cliche because it is the other primary light source. Mm. You know, there's the sun and there's the moon. And right. It's a fundamental fact of our lives as yeah. humans on the earth that we live on a planet that has a moon and that this moon rules the water and mm-hmm. rules us largely because our emotional bodies are definitely housed in the water that is us. I mean, we're, what's our percentage of water? Depends on 80%? 70, 80, 90, something. We're a lot of yeah, water. Yeah, over 80. Yeah. 
You can get better at fact-checking. <laughs> get on <laughs> the fact-checking, Matthew. No, no, okay, people listening can then, can then write they, in and right. say, please yeah. tell us, what is the accurate scientific amount of right. water that right. makes up a human being? You can win a prize. <laughs> if, you, if you can give us chapter and verse and cite your sources to how okay. much we are water. Perfect. But in the meanwhile, yeah. the moon is so fundamental to who we are. And of course, as a woman... Mm-hmm. You can become aware of the moon as part of our monthly cycle, and and um, you know some people say, well, my grandmother's visiting mm-hmm. um, the fabulous poet uh, Anne Hart Baker, Marie Anne Hart Baker, mm-hmm. did a thing called "Being on the Moon" many years ago, which is you know about honoring women and our monthly cycles. Yeah, and work that does that that breaks through that terrible hegemony of shame that yes. the, that the western christian churches mm-hmm. have put upon women mm-hmm. is so necessary mm-hmm. so necessary to win that back to say that it's okay and you know my own mom in her life as a catholic woman of her time and of her place was very reticent in those matters. Mm-hmm. When when I was a girl, it was something that it was very difficult for her to talk about. Mm-hmm. So it became a huge issue to be women and not to know how to talk about these things. Yeah. Finally, in her seventies, you know, she started she started talking. She said, "You know, I just couldn't talk before. I didn't know how to talk about this." Right. And then she almost went TMI because she was ready to talk. And I'm like, okay, uh huh. I'm so glad you're comfortable with this, Mom. This is great, Mom. I love it. And and I think that that's a wonderful thing to have seen happen. Yeah. Because society had shifted enough. She'd been through so much in her life, and her daughters were now women, and they were mothers, and her, you know, her children were grown up, and there's another generation coming up, and. I think she wanted to make sure that that she kept growing and kept mm-hmm. changing mm-hmm. and kept opening up to what we are as human beings. And that makes me very hopeful, actually. You know, yeah. so I, I think the moon is a, a harbinger of hope in that way because it's always the same old cycle, you know, yeah. from empty to full and then back again. But every time it's new, every time it's something... Mm-hmm exactly itself and nothing else because the atmospheric conditions are different because everything else around it is different the constant becomes specific and becomes evanescent too and and it becomes something that will never happen again Hmm. and so I think it's endlessly possible to talk about the moon and to reflect back on the reflection of the moon and it's a great symbol for poets for many reasons. And one of them is that poetry can be very blunt mm, and very yeah. direct. Mm-hmm. But it also works really well by casting more of a moon's light on something mm. than a sun's light. You know, it's, it's maybe the laser beam of investigative journalism mm, is mm-hmm. the sun and poetry is the moon mm. where, you're, where you're examining what it is that is reflected back by the emotional body, by the emotional impact of a thing, a moment, a way of being in the world, an mm-hmm. event, an idea, whatever. 
Mm -hmm. the, the moon is more more of a soft, diffuse light that enables you to talk about the nuances of things. How about that? Does that make sense? I love it. Yeah. That. Yes. It's incredibly thoughtful. Like I'm just. Yes. I'm thinking about it. Like I feel like you described. It's almost as a poem, your yes. way of talking about poetry. And I love how even, I mean, people can't see this podcast, but you, you, you move in your body as you talk. You know, you, you, you kind of embody in your body your language and your poetry, and it's, it's quite beautiful to watch. Thank you, Anna-Marie, for that wonderful, thoughtful exploration into the moon. And I'm wondering if maybe you could read one of my favorite poems about the moon in your collection called Go Home Moon. Sure, it's yeah. to do that. And I just want to introduce it by saying that uh, it was inspired by a tweet from the infamous Mr. Magpie. Mm. Yeah. Really? Edmonton Magpie Magnus, who tweets okay. as Mr. Yagpie. All right. I don't know if they knew what they were doing, <laughs> but they tweeted out, Go home, moon, the party is over. And <laughs> I thought mm. that was such a beautiful phrase, so poetic, so I asked permission oh, of a bird, an imaginary bird. <laughs> <laughs> this is the world we live in. Yes. That I got permission from an imaginary bird to use <laughs> their quote that I found on the internet. Awesome. Go home, moon, the party's over. This is the moon who wants to sleep on my sofa, cry on my shoulder, Hold on to the worst of her secrets. She tells me only that which she judges I will bear without leaping up, raging with fists to the sky. Did you see her? Silver shoulders rise above the careless conversation. See her mark the exits. Note the time, reach for the bottle. Now she's got her glow on. Now she'll be okay. Sea of tranquility. Pale gray face. Sea of tranquility. Limited grace. See her spin through the clouds of careless conversation. See her light on the corners, the edges of things she is waiting. I have built a room safe for the moon to come home to. It has to be enough. Beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I love listening to you read a poem and sort of share the pace and beat mm -hmm. of it. That's a little bit different mm -hmm. than like what I would have said in my mind for it. So that's like a nice experience. There's like a, a calm. Like I feel like I can breathe with you. As you said uh, earlier. Like a conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, a conspiracy <laughs> where we are conspiring <laughs> together. So. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate sharing that breath. Awesome. Well, so do I. I would love to hear you read it. Oh, I've, mm -hmm. I I really like reading other people's work a lot too. too at different things. So yes. I was like, actually, like when I was like, no, but actually, no, I want to do that. Yay. Okay. Um, Yay. Here we go. Okay. Go home, moon. Go home, moon. The party is over. This is the moon who wants to sleep on my sofa. Cry on my shoulder. Hold on to the worst of her secrets. She tells me only that which she judges I will bear without leaping up, raging with fists to the sky. Did you see her? 
silver shoulders rise above the careless conversation. See her mark the exits, note the time, reach for the bottle. Now she's got her glow on, now she'll be okay. Sea of tranquility, pale gray face. Sea of tranquility, limited grace. See her spin through the clouds of careless conversation. See her light on the corners, the edges of things. She is waiting. I have built a room safe for the moon to come home to. It has to be enough. Thank you. Thanks for doing that. See, you learn so much about your work hearing somebody else do it. Yeah. I think that it's something that we should embrace as a, as a community of wordsmiths. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I never thought that much about until in 2011. Is one of the first things I was asked to do as Poet Laureate was to perform at a Leonard Cohen tribute night. Oh, yes. Yeah, he was yes. still alive in those days even, but of course oh. they were already doing Leonard Cohen's birthday. Yeah. And the woman on the phone, whom I'd never met, said, you know, is there a poem of his you would do? And without even thinking, I said, poets don't do covers. <laughs> <laughs> but of course I said, I will do one of his songs happily. And I was thrilled because I got to play with these really good musicians. And yeah. they yeah. played and I sang and I love to sing his stuff. Yeah. And it's natural to sing another songwriter's song. Right, songs. it is. So yeah. why isn't it just as natural to proclaim another poet's poetry? Mm-hmm. That's an mm-hmm. interesting thought, because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. of, um, there's like dead poet societies sure, where yeah. you're welcome to read your favorite poem from a dead poet who can no longer perform their work, mm-hmm. but we don't often... Well, when Wayne mm-hmm. Arthurson was writer-in-residence at Edmonton Public Library, he started a night where That's he would ha- he would bring in um, authors and poets to come and read, because I, I, I was, in that was one of them. Yeah, we were in that night together, yeah. weren't we? And so I do recall reading the other people's work and inviting those poets to come and hear me read their work. Because and it's wonderful. Isn't yeah, it? it was. It was wonderful. Yeah. I think we should do it more often. It's a way that we can get to know ourselves as a community. Yeah. In a whole other way. And when you say, who are we? Mm-hmm. You can say, well, we're all these things. You know, if you say, what's Chicago blues? Anywhere in the world, anyone who knows Chicago blues, mm-hmm. it's this player and that player, and they'll, they'll give you a song from there. What's Edmonton poetry? Mm-hmm. Well, let's develop a canon of work that we're sharing amongst ourselves as living creators of that work and as co-creators of that work yeah. and be a little more open to having other people do your work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, for the launch of this, the, for the pre-launch, um, the fabulous Darren Hogan was the yeah. host oh, yeah. for the pre-launch. So I said, Darren, Darren, will you play the accordion? Will you play the accordion for me? Yeah. And that was quite a challenge, you know, to to recite with an accordion in the room. Because wow. the accordion is huge. It's a it's, big, huge sound. It really is. Yeah. Like, okay, yes. We tried it a cappella, and they went, no, seriously, hmm. doesn't matter how much theater you can do, I'm going to get a microphone because you have an accordion. And it's not fair. If I don't have a microphone, right. I'm just going to be shouting, and that yeah. doesn't sound cool, man. It's not cool. So, so we did one that we had rehearsed, and at the end of the night, 
we did one totally improvised hmm. that we hadn't practiced. We just went, well, what if we did this as a duet as well? And we did it, and it was fabulous. Yeah. But I think that's the value of theater, because theater and theatrical people, we're used to that collaborative thing. They have a, a dark history in theater as well that hmm. helps me to want to collaborate with people and go... I can do this with it. What can we do with it that's something different, that's something more, that's something richer and fuller and more exciting? Yeah. So for the actual launch, I got the Spoken Word Youth Choir, who mm-hmm. were totally right. amazing. There were 13 voices. And I mean, what's cooler than having 13 voices reciting your work and doing things with it that you wouldn't have thought of yourself? Yeah. Because their conductor, Gail Solbat, came up with arrangements for stuff. You know, she let me in on the process in case I didn't like the arrangements and that, but I tried to keep as hands off as possible, strictly because my directorial side would have loved to go and give me yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. it's not no, you have to you have to be serious about saying, No, you take yeah. it, you do something with it, surprise me, show me something I wouldn't have thought of. And she did, and they did, and it was a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that that is a much more exciting thing than than just performing work myself and I love performing work so yes, you can you imagine how excitable I get about someone else doing it yeah. and how excitable about the prospect that we would do more of that as a community that becomes a thing that we do yeah. it's pretty exciting mm-hmm. you know it's a pretty exciting thing mm. yeah there's an element of like um, I had wanted to talk on that collaborative nature and talk a little bit more about the book launch that you had um, yeah. You did a really good job of bringing us into that. Right. Um, and I had been reading around on your blog, too, about um, the spiritual responsibility of artists and uh, some of the considerations that went into, you know, whether or not you wanted to publish your second book after nine years. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit right now about some of those considerations and, you know, how you worked through them. Oh, well, you know, sometimes it's as simple as saying, oh, pull your head out of your own behind and stop being so pompous. Sometimes I think spirituality is the central core of all that we are Hmm. and it's fundamental to our lives and sometimes I think talking about it just sounds so freaky and pompous that I just Hmm. can't stand it. (laughs) You know, that's, that's the tension for me between the ease with which you can fall into pontificating and I I have this streak of desire to be openly prayerful that I both love and am suspicious of mm. because it leads to all kinds of trouble. You know, my dad used to, to say, when I was a teenager, we went for a drive one time, he said, no, I don't ponder religion, I don't ponder at all. He huh. said, Dad, that's a cop-out. He said, no, because if I thought about it too hard, I'd have to resolve my problems with what I see as religion, I'd have to codify that, I'd have to put it out there, and then as soon as I did that, someone would start using it wrong and they'd blame me. Hmm. Hmm. I don't want to be responsible for any more religious wars, for any pogroms, for any kind of Hmm. going out in the world and pushing my ideas down someone else's throat. And at the time, I didn't really fully appreciate that, I just thought it was kind of a Mm cop-out. But the older I got, the more I saw its point, you know. Spirituality informs everything we do. Yeah. Whether we're openly admissive of that or not. And sometimes I think the danger of poetry is that it 
can pretend to a kind of authority about any kind of spiritual matter that hmm. that could dangerously stand in for a person's own sovereign right and responsibility to, to be a spiritual being themselves, mm-hmm. you know. And as soon as I say that, I go, yeah, but think of the great poets who inspire my own spirituality, mm-hmm. and there are many of them. Okay, I can't say that they're wrong. No, they're right, and they inspire. Right. And think of the lesser poets who struggle in their work to pay homage to the, the really beautiful and fully alive spiritual nature of the world, that's not wrong either. And it's necessary at this time to speak of that. Yeah, I think this is, a lot of the things that you've been talking about can really lead us into the next part of the the podcast, the sort of deeper dive that we wanted to go into. And I was hoping that... Deep dive now. (laughs) Yeah, that you could um, read two poems for us before we do the poem of silence and then poverty of history and... If you want to say anything before each one or how you want to do that, that's up to you. Okay. So the Poem of Silence is a poem that I felt I really needed to put in a book. And at various points I thought it could be a book all by itself, just with one text and blank pages. Mm. Um, in the end, I thought that might be a little too ostentatious and too tempting to people that use it for toilet paper. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, the redneck in me comes out. These are the way these things turn up in the mind. Yeah. The Poem of Silence is for all those who never wrote, for what we all lost through the brutalities of the residential schools and day schools experience. For the silences in the Canadian canon of literature where once there was singing. Margaret Atwood gave to Duncan Campbell Scott 11 pages for his poetry. She counted him worthy of more pages than any other English language poet in a supposed national anthology. Elegies to the savage No apology while overseeing murder, rape, starvation, medical experimentation, and that contentious bone whether to call it genocide, cultural or otherwise. For all that, return to this page now, 11 times. And I mean, you could do 11 times 11 times and it wouldn't be... Enough, and I think we're in that moment right now where as a an artistic society mm-hmm. we're talking about let's stop excusing monstrous behavior by saying oh but they're an artist mm-hmm. you know Hitler wrote poems to his mom too yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and, and do we if things had turned out differently maybe you know he would have gotten his stuff out there too who knows right yeah art is art but what you do in your life matters too mm-hmm. it really does and and that's, you know, go back to your other question, that stops me all the time, because I'm so far from perfected in any aspect Uh, of my life that I may as well just keep my mouth shut, because who am I to say anything before Uh, I've gotten anything right? I haven't gotten anything right yet, so I should just shut the fuck up. No, you're allowed to swear, you're allowed to swear. and I you know, sometimes (laughs) I feel that, like, honestly, it's so incredibly egotistical to say anything, but then I think, well... You know, water birds sing. Right. 
They do because they must. Yes. Um, because that's how the sun gets up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, it might not happen if they didn't sing. Because if they didn't sing, it'd be good. there'd be no birds. If there's no birds, then there's a break in the ecological chain. If there's that break in the ecological chain, it could cause an irretrievable breakdown in all the living mechanisms that keep Gaia alive, mm-hmm. such that it might even stop this world from spinning. And then the sun literally would not get up anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's not just birds carrying that weight. They sing at the dawn. Fish sing at dawn, too. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I found this video on, on the web, the marvelous internet, Yeah. about fish recorded singing at dawn. Mm-hmm. And I suppose they've always been doing it. It's just somebody finally caught them at it. Yeah. You know, and so maybe we do that, too. In most prayer traditions, you, you acknowledge the dawn with a prayer, with a song. Maybe that's what we need to do to keep the world spinning in harmony. Maybe that's our job. Mm-hmm. And so given all of that, it's important to go and look at these gaps in the song and, and really stop thinking about in Canada the plight of the Indian and what the residential schools took away from our communities as Indigenous people. But to really come to grips with what it took away from all of us. Mm-hmm. That you guys can't teach me an Ojibwe song. Teach me a song in Mi'kmaq. Because you don't know it, you know? That you can get out of a university here in Canada and do it without any knowledge about yeah. Indigenous history in this land. Indigenous ecology, Indigenous starcraft, and you know, all yeah. of the sciences mm-hmm. from an Indigenous perspective, which exists but are only just now coming, welling back up from underground. And I think our children and our children's children will have a better time, but if we make it through this time. Yeah. So we have to sing. We have to sing. Poverty of history. I wanted to write a poem that would tell you in the oldest tongues of our land just how old and well-beloved is this land and by whom. You must remain heedless, I have not the means. We are joined by a poverty of history, friend. It was taken from me, I cannot pass on to you how to name the pathways, lifeblood, river and mountain plains of the face of this land. This, beloved, we must address with an amnesiac's desperation. We have forgotten, by will or by violence, This, beloved's names, we call new names and hope we are forgiven. Uncharted seas may rise, or the land may turn to us, like a wife leans her cheek into the cupped hand of a forgetful, loving husband. The truth is our lie, friend. I've heard of a time we lived like swallows in a riverbank, in the sun. But if you don't know the one, I can't tell you more, nor smooth this cheek with poetry. I tie my tongue and wear my pockets inside out. Hmm. Poverty first, then history. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Very powerful. Is it? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You you never know, right? Mm -hmm. Because as a poet, don't you find you have all kinds of thought behind every word. Yes. And you can only hope that those thoughts that you have are evoked in some meaningful way for somebody else. 
Mm-hmm. And they may go in a totally different direction, and that's the amazing bit of, of words, you know, that they can refract all kinds of meanings. Yes. Mm, breathing yeah. into it. Conspiring. Conspiring. <laughs> yeah. Let's be a conspiracy. Yeah. Um, so r- earlier in the year, um, you and I were both on a panel for the Capital yeah. City mm. um, Press uh, Fair. Uh, to talk about writing truth. Mm-hmm. And during that panel, you talked a bit about how your work challenges that often uncon- unconscious use of everyone and mm-hmm. how that can act as an erasure of cultures, histories, religions. And I feel like, particularly in the, the two poems that you just read us, that's sort of a, a work at um, go- working against that erasure that you're doing. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if you could you know, talk some more about what that but what that truth means to you and what it means to perhaps even reclaim truth in your poetry. Yeah, it is a thing that I keep running into that the fundamental nature of life is always change, you know, and so things emerge, things fall apart. It people have observed this throughout time, across cultures. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there are natural processes by which that happens, in a comfortable way for a culture, in a healthy way for people. And there are acts of violent erasure, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can look at the sand on the shore and the waves will erode it. And over time, they happen to change the entire shoreline, and that's beautiful. Mm. That's, to me, a good metaphor for the movement of cultures, of language, of identity, shifts in what we understand altogether to be the shape of the land that we hold. You know, then you get something like a a tsunami. Mm -hmm. It's too much change all at once. And you have to ask yourself, why is that necessary? You can say of a tsunami, well, it just goes to show you that we're tiny, 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 and the world has its own agenda, and, you know, you just have to accept that you're here by the grace of forces way beyond your reckoning. And that's a humbling thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was raised to think of the earth as alive. Yes. This idea that yes. the earth is alive. But it's a wonderful and beautiful and mystical sort of idea in a way, or maybe that's just me. I thought it was, mm-hmm. oh, this is a mystical, wonderful idea. Yes, yes, the mm-hmm. earth and all that. I'll go outside at dawn and feel the power of it all. Go outside in the sunset, feel the power of it all. Be under the moon, feel the power of it. Mm-hmm. Under the bright sun, feel the power of it. And then I was in an earthquake. Mm. And... Oh, who am I kidding? (laughs) Who am I kidding? (laughs) Oh my God. I am nothing. So small. There's no way I could stop this. If this thing wanted me gone, boom, I am gone. No questions asked. I was in Japan in 1995 Mm -hmm. when the Mm -hmm. big Kobe earthquake happened. And it just changed my perspective in a really good way. It really grounded me in this understanding that the living earth is is um, really just suffering us, you know. Mm. So so we should 
we should always be aware that that thing is bigger than us and more powerful than us and we need to pay attention to that because we can be erased. Mm. And it doesn't fall down to us. Now that's right and proper, but to do that to each other, right. Mm -hmm. right. I find that to be petty. I find that to be evil. And I find mm -hmm. that to be mean, right? And so I think as a writer, we have such a relatively limited scope. You know, our words aren't going to wipe out 19,000 people in one. They're just not going to do that. But they can create the conditions for genocide. Mm. They can create the conditions to normalize brutalizing women yeah. and children, killing the old. They can create all kinds of conditions yeah. for changing how we perceive ourselves and the value of life. And they can make us forget this fragility of what we are, really. And so we have to work against that erasure. And part of that erasure is really just the casual use of everyone, you know, as an Indigenous writer. And hmm. I constantly have to, to understand that my everyone is not everybody else's everyone. I constantly know that I, I can't that, just that casually say, well, everyone knows this. Everyone doesn't know this. And to be even more specific about my specific history, you know, and to be what I am, which is the, the silence between two rivers. I'm, oh. I'm Polish matrilineally, and Anishinaabe people are matrilineal. I'm born from my mom's people. Mm -hmm. Polish people are patrilineal, so I'm born from my dad's people. So I, right. I belong to neither, I belong to both. It's a particular place to occupy and opens up all kinds of questions of authenticity, of what's real about my experience as opposed to this large overarching idea of what everyone knows we should be like. Right. And then I just get irritated because everyone is so casually used by people who are really also occupying a very narrow band of existence. Mm -hmm. But oblivious to going, well, everyone knows this. Everyone's had this experience. No, they haven't. Oh, they really, really haven't. And I'd like to unpack that every time I hear it. Even when it's me doing it, I, I have to check myself and go, everyone who? Mm -hmm. Because what everyone is that? Is that everyone really everyone? Or would you just like to think? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, are you just reaching out to try to envelop everyone in, in a hug? Everyone knows what it's like when your house is full of mold and you know the, the water system's broken. Hmm. Sure, we all know what that's like. Don't we? Don't we all know that? No, just the First Nations communities yeah. in this first world country. Hmm. And that that's such a strange tool that, that one word everyone that I think it, it bears a little bit of hammering and kicking and poking at and teasing and and then, you know, we should comfort it afterwards because it's not its fault. It's a lovely word. It's meaning to be inclusive. Mm -hmm. But it's been used like a ball-peen hammer on the mind of the people who are using it. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so you, during this discussion, you were talking a bit about your mixed heritage. And, um, you know, you've mentioned before that earlier in the conversation and outside of the conversation, how you felt uh, like an other at times, both at home and when abroad. Um, and I know that 
we know that much of the collection centers on Edmonton as a place and then on the thousands of years of history. And so um, we're wondering if, you know, you can talk a little bit about that idea of other. It's another one of those things where it's a very emotionally charged yes, it is. question. And yeah. Everyone feels like the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just used everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and, we just, and we nodded. <laughs> and we all went, yeah. yeah. We but three have all felt like other. I think That's, we three have all felt yeah. like an other for various reasons. Yeah. And I think I can say truthfully that pretty much everyone I've ever had any meaningful interaction with on a human level in my life has identified themselves as other in some way at mm-hmm. some time. Mm-hmm. So when I think about that, I think, well, we're more other than not. So what mm. does that mean? If we're more other than we are not, where's the center? And does it matter that there's one locus of centrality for culture? Or can we just be a disparate kind of, you know, Matthew, would be, can we open this up into a... What were you saying to open to open the oh the things? welcome mat or yeah, like the spreading spread out, out like a yeah. Mat. yeah yeah to spread it out like a like a welcome to everyone right? instead of thinking of one locus of normal one locus of ah oh, yes now I belong can we open that up and make more room and say well if you've ever felt like an other and there are some poems that do that brilliantly from other people. Now I've forgotten the poem I'm trying to refer to. You know the one I mean? Everyone who has ever not picked Oh <clears throat> Yes, I know what I know what you're talking about and I can hear that it's rhythm in my poem. mind. Yes. But I'm never going to like This is sounds, another Google research. Yeah, yes. it sounds like to everyone something. who has been, never been picked uh, you know, when they're calling out the name for the baseball team and, yes. and that's... First in gym class. Yeah, 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 yeah. First in gym Everyone class. Everyone was never asked to dance. Right, right. Oh, we're going to have to Google that poem. Yeah, and uh, it, it's a wonderful poem. And I thought, oh, that's the kind of thing mm-hmm. that I so identify with and makes me jealous I didn't write it, mm-hmm. you know, which is a good feeling to have about poetry. <laughs> I didn't it think is. of that. <laughs> well, not. People out there in podcast land will go, you guys. Yeah, they're going to all know it. Someone will write so in and say, know it. Doi, it was yeah. this poem and this poet. And yeah. we'll all go, yeah, that's right. But we couldn't think of it at the time, you know. We just to be corrected. Probably yeah. because we were doing it deliberately so that people were listening. <laughs> yeah. That's why. That's Please why. tell us. <laughs> Contact us. So that's question number. What are we up to now? Three or four? Three or four. I don't know. Four, if you yeah. can answer yeah, all the yeah. questions, you get the prize. Oh, yeah. Send you a copy of Anne Marie's book. Oh, yeah. there you okay. go. Sweet <laughs> coffee. I don't know if that will be enough motivation. They should probably have one of yours. I'm one of yours. Oh, okay. I'm, okay. This is the episode they're listening to, so if they've gotten this far into it, they probably okay. want to go and read the book now. Probably. I would hope. Well, okay. it's not yeah. even, yeah, it's not even probably. Yeah. Yeah, it's a for sure. sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. And if you answer all the questions correctly, <laughs> and we will have time to Google the answers ourselves. Yeah, we so will. We'll yeah, we're going to make sure we know. <laughs> gaslighting us, or if it's really true. Yeah. Then, then we'll um, give you a prize. I'll sign the book, too. Oh, exactly. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and then, okay. and then there will be a tag on that that they have to then read it out loud. Oh, okay. Mm, and send you some oh. videos. That's right, some kind of 
voice recording of it. You know, okay. Just because, well, you know, that's the purpose of the book, to be spoken aloud. Yeah. And I think that it can happen. And I had, can I talk about an experience? Oh, yes, 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 yes. So I had great experiences launching this book here in Edmonton. And then I went out to Toronto for meetings with the Writers' Union. Mm. And because the union is so sensible of the fact that people, you know, in this great big land of ours, it's expensive to travel. People might need to make the best use of every opportunity they get to come, for example, to Toronto from yeah. hearts far flung. So they said, yeah, no, these are the two meetings we're, you know, you're, you're taking care of for your work during these two meetings. But if you want to tack on a day in the front, day in the back, mm. as long as your airplane fare is not radically different, go ahead. If, if you can find a way to promote your own work, why not? We're not right. going to pay for that part of your trip, but we're getting you here anyway. Mm-hmm. Just do it. And they helpfully connected me to some people um, at the University of Toronto with a wonderful women writers ser- um, series okay. that Dr. Nora Gold runs and mm. it's amazing, okay. really amazing writers. They're mostly fictionistas but they let a poet in and we had a really great time. I thought this is the best reading yet. I had these two great Edmonton experiences and then we had this great Toronto yeah. experience. I thought it doesn't get any better. Two days of great meetings and I thought okay it doesn't do any better than that. Then my mother-in-law hosted a salon for um, her chapter of the University Women's Club, Canadian Federation of University Women. Um, the chapter she belongs to, Mrs. Sager, quite active, doing okay. all these history books. And, you know, they've got Hazel, um, Hurricane Hazel McKellion is their mayor, right, who's like 94 years old. Oh, okay. Out yeah. there doing stuff. So they're these feisty, amazing elder women. And so... Joan invited me to do a salon reading for them. I thought, well, that'll be fun. I've never had this experience. They all came in. They all said, can we get a copy of our books now, of your book now? We're going to get them. Can we get them now? And can we read along? Oh, Oh. Oh, yes, you can. And it was such a strange and and weird experience to to say, okay, what would you like me to read? And, you know, I'd read something, and they'd all go to that page. And then one of them, who was a retired professor of... I'm going to get it wrong, but uh, something geotechnical. Oh, okay. Okay. yeah, okay, okay, okay. She said, this is great. Now, do you mind if I do something from your first book? And I had this, that face exactly that you can't see Rain. It was my face. You know, you're what? I would like to recite a piece from your first book because, you know, when I heard you were coming, I got it at a library. I've been wow. reading. I just love, I love this piece, and I would like to proclaim it. And yes! Oh my God, yeah. And she did. She stood up in front of this room of women, her peers, and me, the author of this piece, and she declaimed so beautifully. I I can't top that as an experience. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully hopefully that's wrong. You know, this is... (laughs) (laughs) This is the best one, yeah. But this is why I love women. This is why I love women. Me too. It's just like, wow, look at you go. Yeah. What an honor, what a gift, what an inspiration, and what a confirmation that, you know, as poets, we have to remember that our work is not done until it has an audience, until an audience takes it on board and makes it into whatever they make it into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even then, it's not done. If it's any good, it's going to keep bubbling along and yeah. doing new things and doing different things. 
Because after all, that's how we came up with the poems in the first place. Somebody else yes. did it first, yes. did this idea. You know, it all starts with the sun and the moon and the drum in our hearts that gets us going. And those rhythms are way beyond us. Yeah. And then we pick up something out of them and translate it into a book that somebody else picks up and makes something else out of them. It's a chain of circumstance and language that it's overwhelmingly amazing. It just never ends. Yeah. Beautiful. And that's, I think, a beautiful thought Yeah. to lead us out on. Oh, and right. with, of course, a final poem attached to it. And what's the final poem? Well, and I think even the discussion and how, you know, you were kind of talking about women and, and the elder. And so the poem that Matthew and I really would love to have you lead us out on is uh, Nocturne. Oh, I would love to do this poem for you, but in keeping with the spirit of the night, Rayanne, would you read it? Oh my gosh. Can you? Would you? I would be incredibly honored. Oh my gosh, Anna Marie. I would love it. I'm going to read along. <laughs> I'm, gonna, um, okay. I'm opening up my book. Up to page 85. Page 85. Um, well, I have to hope I can keep my composure. Okay, Let, let's craft that's something. That's the challenge. Yeah. yeah. So you read the title. I'll okay. read the little dedication. <clears throat> and how about we all read this line together? Okay. Oh, together. I love that. Yeah. Okay. 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 And then you read everything else. Oh, Anna Marie. Okay. okay. Here we go. This okay. is fun. This okay. is good. Let's go. Nocturne, Tiny Nell. For my beloved mom, on the eve of her departure into the larger dance. She is tiny now, my mother and jokes in the morning when her teeth aren't in, how she whistles like a little bird. And I want to reach back to the nights when she brought the piglets in, laid them in the wood stove oven, so tiny, but she believed in them and in the warm cradle, the spark of life rekindled in them. How do I cradle her now? She is so tiny softly drawing nearer to the western door. This This poem poem won't won't do it. it. This poem is for me, a piglet grown, with my astonished snout of discovery, how the power that built a world for me still reveals itself, blue, slight, soft, tiny. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, they're your beautiful words. I mean, oh, I just... Oh, you wrote them so beautifully. That was oh, fun, yeah. eh? Thank oh, you, guys. Oh, go God. team! We, we were all a part of it. Conspiracy. <laughs> conspiracy. <laughs> conspiracy. Oh, my gosh. Conspiracy. Well, well, thank you so much, Anna-Marie, for talking with us tonight and sharing your worldly wisdom and experiences and mm-hmm. allowing us to both read your poetry wow, what an throughout honor. the night. And... Um, Ran, if you want to thank Yeah, I mean, thanks again to Gravinder Batia, who is our sponsor, and the WGA for being amazing partners and supporters of this podcast. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, make sure that everybody who's listening that you keep up to date on the podcast and future episodes and follow us on Twitter at let's underscore lit and subscribe and listen to the podcast at audioboom.com and more places where you listen to your favorite podcasts. And now. Uh, we will end the night with, I think we all have like a little bit of cider left. A little left. bit of cider left. Yeah. A little nice little cheers. Cheers. Cheers.